Take a moment, pray, and uh, then we'll get on with the Bible study. Father, thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather. We thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight. We thank you that uh, He is continually in our lives, uh, that you give without measure. And so we thank you for rivers of living water. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit uh, that continuously fills us. We pray, God, tonight that we would draw upon the Holy Spirit to understand and draw upon the Holy Spirit to receive revelation, draw upon the Holy Spirit for anointing tonight. We ask God that you would uh, be glorified through what we do. I ask that you'd speak as we have ears to hear. We give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the Gospel of John chapter 3. There are Bibles available on the tables. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. John chapter 3 and verse 27. I volunteer to read that. John 3:27. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. All right, thanks. Uh, if you read the context of that, you see John the Baptist is speaking, and he was making a statement about Jesus here. And uh, the statement he was making about Jesus was that everything that they had seen in Jesus, he's speaking to. Uh, his disciples speaking to those that were concerned because uh, John was decreasing as Jesus was increasing, which is exactly what John had prayed. So uh, understanding his role and understanding what he was supposed to do, he came to prepare the way for Jesus, which he had done, and he had come to the end of that. And so his influence and his popularity socially, uh, and really religiously, was diminishing and as Jesus was increasing. And that was exactly how it was supposed to happen. And so there were some that were concerned about that. And you kind of think about that. These are guys that likely had followed John and kind of hitched their wagon to him. And so they're watching Jesus as he's ascending watching the guy that they're attached to descending, and we're concerned about it. And that's just kind of that human thing, you know. It's like, I want to be on the winner, the winning team, okay? And this guy's starting to lose, you know, comparatively. And, and so they really just didn't understand what was happening. And so John was trying to explain it. John had already, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty clear about this in his prayer that, you know, he's going to decrease because Jesus is going to increase. And he's pretty clear in the fact that the one who comes after him is greater than him. Pretty clear in the fact that he wasn't even worthy to tie or untie his sandals. Pretty, you know, pretty clear about the fact that he understood his role. And he understood who he was supposed to be. And so instead of really engaging in any conversation about it in, in any real sense, like, oh yeah, you know, talking about Jesus or whatever... He just basically makes this statement. 
And the statement was that, you know, you think about all that Jesus is, all the power, all the word, all the work, all the teaching, the drawing of disciples. And what John was saying was that that comes from heaven. That's God. That's God working. And he's assuring who he's talking to that all of this is meant to be. All of this is the way it's supposed to be. All of this is the way that it was planned to be from the very start. And and so, in a real sense, he's making a statement and he's trying to encourage his followers, trying to encourage those that are so concerned about it. He's making a statement of trust. And it really is a statement of trust. When when you say you look at where where does good stuff come from? Well, the good stuff comes from heaven. Where does uh, you know success come from? Success comes from heaven. Where does promotion come from? Promotion comes from heaven. And he's making a statement of trust in that God has this under control. God knows what needs to happen. God is fully aware of what's going on. God's fully aware of John. God's fully aware of Jesus. God's fully aware of the disciples here, the disciples there. And everything that needs to happen, he's fully aware of what's going on in Jerusalem, fully aware of what's happening in the times of the day and everything that's going on. God's fully aware of that. And John makes a statement of trust that that this is the way things happen, this is the way things are. And it's okay. It's all right. It comes from heaven. And so he makes his statement of trust. There's an idea here that we begin to understand that any success and and all the things I read off, power, word, work, teaching, drawing disciples... That only comes from heaven. And so what begins to, and the idea that I think John's trying to foster in his disciples here is that, and try to grow in them, is a dependence on God's grace. That we need a dependence on His grace. And and what that means for us practically is that if we're going to depend on God's grace, then we're going to stop trying to do everything ourselves. And that's part of the spiritual issue that humans have is that we want to try to do everything ourselves. And the problem is we can't. The whole law illustrates the fact that we cannot do it ourselves. And it's just the abject failure of anybody, anybody, to keep the law. And and that that is is portrayed in the New Testament. And, And Paul talks about that in Romans, or Paul talks about that in Colossians, or Paul talks about that in Galatians, or the writer of Hebrews talks about that. If it could be done, it would have been done. But it wasn't done. No one could keep the law. No one could could follow all the statutes. No one could do what was necessary in order to work it out ourselves. It just can't be done. And so that whole idea that still permeates religious circles today is that somehow we're going to crack the code. That maybe no one that we know ever cracked the code, but I'm going to crack the code. No one that came before us could crack the code, but I'm going to get it done. Gosh darn it all. I'm going to crack the code. Well, you're not going to crack the code. And so the issue is, that there has to come a point in our life, I believe, in our spiritual life, where we come into that place and realize that we're not going to crack the code, we're not going to live up to it, we're not going to be able to do it, and we have to look and see, okay, what provision has God given for this to happen? So that's just like a very basic level of our relationship with God. That's a very basic level of who we are as spiritual beings, that we have to come to some kind of agreement with what the Holy Spirit has provided for us. And so what the Holy Spirit has provided for us is that grace and that forgiveness and that love. And whether or not we want to argue about it or whether or not it seems fair or whether or not it seems like justice to us or whether or not it seems like, well, if we were God, we wouldn't have done it that way. However you want to see that, however it is. And and I I really... I suspect that that how you see that probably has something to do with the amount of religion that you grew up in. All right, I think there's like a, a direct correlation with that. And by religion, I don't necessarily mean 
necessarily going to church every Sunday. I'm talking about religion. Like whoever taught you about God, whoever taught you about the ways of God that instilled that in you, if they instilled in you this high degree of religion, then you probably have some difficulty accepting what the Holy Spirit has to say about this. Because the Holy Spirit is very clear on this, even as He revealed this truth to the Gospel writers, as He revealed this truth to the Epistle writers, and the Epistle writers took a great deal of time to address this, because they were addressing, for the most part, religious people. And these religious people, whether they came out of Judaism or they came out of paganism, were used to doing whatever it is they needed to do themselves in order to get right with God. Whether that meant going down and buying a sacrifice and making it at the temple, going down buying a sacrifice and making it wherever it was, whether it meant attending temple, attending the synagogue, whatever it was that they were able to somehow appease themselves that they were actively engaging and doing what they needed to do to get right with God. Problem is, that really wasn't getting them right with God. If they could get right with God through any of those means, Jesus would have never had to come. He would have never had to die. And he never had to rise again. Because there would have been a means by which it could be done. But there wasn't a means. And so this, according to God's plan, was going to be the means. It was going to be Jesus. And, and so that this basic entry point for us is coming to terms with that. Coming to terms with we can't do it. Coming to terms with no one's ever done it. Coming to terms with this is God's provision for us as His people to know Him and, and to come into relationship with Him is through Jesus. And that's all there is to it. We can try to make something else up, but it doesn't work. We can try to make things like, oh, well, I'll do A, B, and C, and I'll feel better about it. Well, maybe you will feel better about it, but it doesn't get you any closer to God. It just makes you feel better. So we come into this place, we come to this point, at least at some point, hopefully, where we come to agreement with that. Okay, so that's a basic starting point. But then, as we live our lives in Christ, we begin to realize that life, life, our lives in Him, and where the Bible talks about abundant life, the Bible talks about uh, a life in Jesus, all of that is tied directly to this idea of grace. That we find ourselves constantly in need of grace. In conversations, in relationships, we find ourselves in need of grace with work, jobs, finances, provision over our lives. I mean, the way Jesus describes provision in our lives is that our Father knows that we have need and He gives it to us. That's how He, that's how he describes provision. And then He uses the example of the birds of the air or uses the example of the grass of the field. And all of those examples, the birds of the air are not actively working or spinning to somehow make provision for themselves. They're provided for by their Father. And, and so that in the grass of the field, arrayed as beautifully as this, it, it, it doesn't work or spin in order to make itself beautiful. That's done by the Father. And so even the very understanding of our survival, the very understanding of provision over our lives, Jesus described that as being provided for by the Father. And so that in and of itself is a revelation of grace. And so in our lives, we start at the beginning point of salvation. You start at that, that very beginning point of coming to terms with our salvation is not by our own works, our own righteousness, or anything we've done, but only through Christ. We come to terms with that. Then we begin to live our lives, and we soon discover we're coming to terms with grace in almost every aspect of our lives. We have to come to terms with that. We come to terms with grace with provision. We come to terms with grace when it comes to relationships. We come to terms with grace when it comes to just about anything else we're ever going to do. We have to come to terms that we need, that we depend upon His grace. And for some people, that's just super hard. 
And I don't know if we just have a pride issue about it. I don't know if we just have some issue that, that we were brought up with, that was instilled in us. But the fact of the matter is, is that the teachings of Jesus lead us back to grace all the time. And it's something that he wants us to learn. Something he wants us to depend upon. Something that he wants us to foster and grow that dependence on. I need your grace. For what? Everything. I need your grace for provision in my life. I need your grace for relationships in my life. I need your grace for just going about my friendships or living or or teaching or, or doing whatever it is I'm going to do. I need your grace, God. And coming to terms with that in our own hearts, in our own lives. And you think about this, that's our spiritual life for sure. And most of us can kind of accept that in our spiritual life if we've at least come to terms with our salvation. But the other side of that is that we need to come to terms with that in our natural life also. That grace sustains us. Even when you think about, well, I'm going to go out and work for a living. Okay, well, you go out and you work. But can you lose a job? Yeah. Can, you, can your company go out of business? Yeah. Yeah. Can, I mean, you think about all the things that can happen, right? And you're out there working, you're doing your part, right? Yeah, well, it's still, there's things beyond what you can do. And, and fortunes have been won and lost. And, and, and money has been won and lost. I think about um, Mary's dad had an investment. This is way back before uh, something happened. I, I can't remember the, what they called it now. It was like, I don't know if it was a recession or if it was something. But it was a number of years ago, and, and her dad had had investments in um, General Motors. It wasn't him that made the investments. It was a financial person, but it was in General Motors bonds. Now, everything about those bonds was supposed to be guaranteed. In other words, that's, they're the safest investments you can make. And so the, re and the reason they're safe is because they're guaranteed and, and they have to be paid before other things are paid. It's just by law. And, but you get a small uh, interest because you're taking a safe investment. So it's not, it's not like investing in stocks where you can, you can get a really high interest rate. You invest in bonds because you want to invest in something that's super safe and you'll take the low interest rate, but you know your money's safe. Cool. Yeah, so his retirement, a good chunk of his retirement was invested in General Motors. Because what could go wrong with General Motors? Well, as you know, back then, General Motors just went belly up. And the government took it over. Now, once the government took it over, guess what happened to all the bonds? They were just dismissed. All that money was gone. So every person that invested in General Motors in those bonds lost every cent that they had invested because the government, whether you know this or not, can do anything it wants. And it did. And it did. And so all of those people that invested in that safe harbor, all those people that invested in the safety of those bonds lost every cent of what they invested. Why? Because the government said so. Now, I can't fault Mary's dad for that because he made a safe investment. He made a wise investment. Whoever made that investment for him on his behalf made a very wise investment in that. And yet that money was gone in an instant because the government took over. Because you see, if, if it remained in private hands, they would have had to sell off everything they had in order to pay off the bondholders by law. But, you know, government's not subject to the law. They just did whatever they wanted to do. Money gone. So what I'm trying to get at here is that no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work it, no matter how hard, you know, and you, you invest in, in the sacrifices you make, you put your money away and all the rest of that kind of stuff, when it comes right down to it, and, and I'm not, I'm all about making smart investments, I'm all about doing what you can do and making the best decisions you can, but what I'm trying to get at is that when it comes right down to it, it's still a matter of grace. 
and we're still dependent on God's grace. And the sooner we understand that, and the more often we remind ourselves of that, the better off we're going to be. And so we need, as a people, to train ourselves to foster that dependence on God's grace. And we have to remind ourselves. We have to constantly look at that and say, okay, it's grace. How did I get here? Grace. How do I have what I have? God's grace. What am I going to be doing 10 years from now? Don't know, but I want to be in the grace of God no matter what it is. And so it is His grace that we need to focus on and find our life in. Now, John's greatest joy, as you find out about John, his greatest joy wasn't popularity. His greatest joy wasn't to be uh, powerful. His greatest joy wasn't to be an influencer in religious circles. His greatest joy was to submit to Jesus. Yeah, the Christ, the Messiah. That was his greatest joy. Because that's exactly why he appeared. He didn't forget. Right? Because sometimes people get involved in stuff and they forget why they showed up. Why, why are you here? They forget. Why was he there? He was there and he understood he was there to make the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And so he had gone and done that. He had made the way. Here was Jesus on the ascent. Here he was. Uh, starting to lose his popularity and stuff like that. Perfect. Perfect. He had done exactly what he was supposed to do. His greatest joy was to submit to Jesus, to the Christ, and to see that which was supposed to happen take place. John was a friend to Jesus. He was a friend. I know he's his cousin, but sometimes cousins aren't friends. Right? So, but he was his friend. And so, he was a friend of Jesus in all that he did. Okay? And so, seeing his friend ascend, even as he was starting to wane, was a joy for him. Because he was a friend to him. He understood his purpose and he understood what God had. And so, that was what was going on. Now, the idea, and I started talking about this with the birds of the air and the field. Provision is from God. Provision is from God. Provision is a distribution of grace. And so we need to understand provision that way. As a distribution of grace. Yeah. Because I think, you know, it's so easy to get into this mindset of I'm going to go out and make this it's mine well sort of it's still a distribution of grace and it's kind of interesting that God allows us to think certain ways for a certain amount of time until he kind of shakes us out of it and if you've ever been in that position where you're really thinking that way you're thinking I made this this is mine blah 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 and there comes a day where God just reminds you that it's really all His. And that's okay. Because it is. And so He does what He does. When He does it. And so it is His. It's all His. And it's a good reminder that it is all His. Now provision needs to be seen in our lives as something spiritual. Provision is spiritual. Now I know we think of provision in terms of money. Or we think of provision in terms of clothing or food or whatever it is we're going to think in terms of. And I know we think of provision in terms of physical things, but provision is a spiritual thing. By its very nature, it's spiritual. Now, it manifests physically in those kind of things that I just described, but it's a spiritual thing to begin with. You think about in the Bible where in Malachi, uh, that last book of the Old Testament, uh, that it, the the, uh, the writer's talking about, old Malachi's talking about um, the prophesying the word of God and God speaking through him that he's like, why don't you test me? Bring the tithes into the storehouse and I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. So, all right, those are the words of Malachi, uh, the words of God through Malachi. 
Now, you think about that for a second. Now, is he literally opening the windows of heaven? Are we literally seeing money pouring out of windows in the sky? No. Not, I mean, not normally. I have never seen that. But what he's talking about is the spiritual aspect of it. In other words, provision, what he describes there as provision, and he is describing provision there, is spiritual. The spiritual windows of heaven opened up, and the spiritual provision of God is poured out. But that spiritual provision manifests physically at some point. What does it look like? Don't know. I've had some weird things happen where God manifests his provision and it was it'd be in ways I never would have thought of. Or in ways that, that if I didn't know it was coming, I might not have even recognized it. But if I hadn't been praying for it or I hadn't have been looking at it or I hadn't have been knowing that this was God's provision coming, I might not have seen it. And there's all kinds of examples of that that I could probably sit here and give you of those type things happening. Where money comes in the mail, but I was expecting it. Where a check, a random check gets returned to me and I was expecting that. Or a random bonus or a random payout or something that somebody owed me and they paid me back. But I was waiting on it. Why? Because spiritually, I had seen it happen. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, I've been praying for it. And I had some kind of spiritual experience that told me this is what's going on. Most of you know, I, I've told this story a lot of times, but there was a time I needed a thousand dollars. And so I was praying for it. I was out in Arizona at a meeting that I couldn't afford to be at, but I was part of the leadership team for the meeting, so I had to go. And I was uh, just out there and I went out one morning early to pray. The sun was just coming up. And I mean, I'm in the desert. I'm on a rock in the desert. I'd walked away from where I was. I was just standing there, and I'm praying. And I got a vision, or it looked like a vision. might have been something appeared to me. But a guy in a three-piece white suit appeared right in front of me. He was a man in a three-piece white suit appeared in front of me. And he had a $1,000 bill in his hand. Is there such a thing as a $1,000 bill? I don't know. I've never seen one. All right, But he had one in his hand. That's the only time I ever saw one. And he was holding it out, kind of teasing me with it. And I was just standing there, I looked at him, and I just reached out and snatched it like I was snatching a fly out of the air. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just like really, you know, I just snatched that $1,000 bill out of his hand. And as soon as I snatched it, I had it in my hand, everything went back and I was standing on top of a rock again. And I'm like, there it is. And from that point on, I knew there's $1,000 coming my way. Because you asked me, how do you know? Well, that's how I knew. And so that's when things started happening. Checks were showing up, people were handing me money, all this stuff started happening. Random rebates were coming back. I mean, weird stuff, right? But you know what? I kept track of it. And it was 100, 200, you know, 150 at a time. I'm just keeping track on a piece of paper. You know what it added up to? $1,000 bill. That's right. Because that's what I needed. And that's what I saw God gave me. But it's spiritual. Provision is spiritual. And then it manifests physically. But we need some type of a way to see it. Because you know what? I could have received all of those different random amounts of money and never thought about it. Right? Because that happens in your life. Like you'll get like some random money back and it's like, oh yeah. You know, like I disputed a bill with Amerigas not that long ago. And they returned my money. Right? They gave me money. 200 bucks. Now... If I wasn't waiting on the $200, I wouldn't have seen that. I would just like, good, they gave my money back. Well, that was money I didn't have anymore. And there it came. Okay, so that was 200 or whatever. So, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you might not notice it if you don't notice it. Yeah. So, we pray for things. Well, then we need to believe. We need to keep track. And so, provision is a spiritual thing. It's just something spiritual. And that was kind of not too early on in my Christianity, but early enough to make an impression on me that that's okay. That's opening the windows of heaven. Like, cause I can't physically see the windows of heaven opening up, but that's what it looks like. It, it, God says he's going to do it. Well, then we look for the manifestation of it, whatever that is. And I've seen it manifest in so many different ways. You know, last time I was, uh, on a trip, I went down and I was, uh, 
I was down in South Carolina, and I was just speaking at kinship and doing, you know, just random stuff. And as I was leaving, you know, or might have been, yeah, as I was leaving, somebody handed me a card, and and the amount in the card was a specific amount, right? It was like nine hundred and forty-two dollars or something, and seventy cents. And and the person just wrote in there and said, "This is the exact amount that God told me to give you." Yeah. So there was a, there was specific provision that was being made there. But I'm going to notice that. I'm going to notice when God provides. I'm going to notice when God gives. I'm going to notice when things manifest into the physical. And so we live our lives spiritually, but there's all kinds of crossover, all kinds of manifestations that come into where we live right now, right here. Now Jesus, and I hope you can think about this for a second, Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. Like He wasn't like an Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophets, they had the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was given to them in a certain measure. That's why you you hear like when Elijah was going to be taken up, the chariot, chariot was going to take him up to heaven, Elisha wouldn't leave him. Remember this story? Elisha was like after him. And Elijah's like, just wait here, it's all right. You know, nope, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Because why? Because he wanted to receive from Elijah a double portion of his spirit. Now what that means is, and I've gone over this before, but he's talking to Elijah. He wants a double portion. The double portion was the portion that was given to the firstborn son. Because there was a whole school of prophets that were his spiritual sons. And they were going to receive of his spirit when he was taken up to heaven. And so Elisha was like, I want twice as much as whatever they get. So in other words, you think about, all right, so if you got three sons and you got $10 to your name, all right, the firstborn son is going to get $5. The other two sons are going to get $2.50 apiece. That's what the double portion is is that the firstborn gets twice as much, however it's divided up, I just use a convenient number. However he gets divided up, he gets a double portion of those twice as much as each of the other sons. The only reason I'm bringing this up is that the Holy Spirit was given in measure to Elijah. He did a lot of great things, a lot of miracles, a lot of signs, a lot of wonders. I mean, but he only had a measure of the Holy Spirit. And the reason you know that is because the Holy Spirit was getting divided up among the schools of the prophets. That's how Elisha, that's why he was so adamant about it. So they had a, a measure of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. Now, we receive the Holy Spirit from Jesus. That, that's how we receive the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist, this same John the Baptist is talking here, he talked about it. He's like, well, when Jesus goes, he's going he's gonna to baptize in the Holy Spirit. The word baptize means to immerse, fully immerse under the water. All right? To soak, to inundate, to, to have excess. So, in other words, not with measure. In other words, without measure. That, that we would be like, like if you jumped in the ocean, how much water is around you? I mean, is it only what's two feet away from you? Or how much water is around you if you jump in the ocean? The whole ocean. Right. So the idea of it is that we're inundated with the Holy Spirit as we are soaked through and in and all parts of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit without measure because that's the Spirit that Jesus had. Some verses that talk about that. Somebody look at Ephesians 5.18. And you may not have thought of these verses like this, but maybe you should. Ephesians 5.18. Okay, and that word there for filled means to be continually filled with the, over, with the Spirit. And the idea of is a cup that you, you start pouring water in or whatever, whatever liquid that you choose. You're pouring, you're filling your cup, 
Well, eventually the cup reaches its capacity and it overflows. So the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit here is that that water just keeps pouring and that cup just keeps overflowing. And so the idea is being continually filled with the Holy Spirit is that we're just continually being poured out on with the Holy Spirit and overflowing. It's without measure. That we're just flowing and, and we're being continually filled. And He never runs out. The, the Holy Spirit never runs out. He, he never ends that. It's just we're just continually being overflowing in the Spirit of God. So that is without measure. Now, do we operate in the Spirit without measure? Most of us know. None of us do, actually. And, but we could. So the potential's there, the possibility's there. Whether or not we actually do it, whether or not we actually move in it like that, that's a whole different story. And there's reasons we don't. There's doubts and, and, and there's ideas that we have in us that kind of hinder our ability to be able to take hold of this concept. But I just want to lay the concept out to you that there's no measure. Somebody else doesn't have more of the Holy Spirit than you do. Okay? Nobody else does. You've got, you've got as much of the Holy Spirit as anybody on the face of the earth. Okay? And He's constantly filling and overflowing you. It's all good. Another verse talks about that, John 7. And this is a familiar verse. I talk about this a lot. John 7, verses 37 and 38, Jesus talking. John 7, 37 and 38. All right. All right. So this is going to give you some idea here. He uses the term rivers. Rivers of living water. What do you know about a river? Hmm? It flows, right. It flows. The river flows. Just flows, right? And so what he describes here is if we come unto Jesus then rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit, will flow from us. So, there's a difference between a well and a cistern. A well is connected normally to an underground river. In other words, that river just flows. You can dip your bucket in there as many times as you want. Brought up, you're going to get water. A cistern is a hole in the ground that you either fill with water or is filled by rain. But it's a finite amount of water. And so if you keep putting your bucket in, you keep putting your bucket in, and you don't replenish the water that's in the cistern, it's going to run out. And so what Jesus is drawing a contrast here is that we don't, we're not cisterns. We're not just holes in the ground that get filled up to a certain amount and then we're drawing on it, and eventually we're going to run out. That's not the picture. That's not the idea. The idea is we're rivers, and there's rivers of living water that's flowing out of us. That is the Spirit without measure. That is the Holy Spirit without measure. And so he describes that. Paul describes that in Ephesians. This is the idea that somehow has got to get into our head that we're not limited. That there's no limit on the Spirit of God in us. There's no limit on the Spirit of God through us. There's no limit on what God can do, will do, has the power in us to do. There's no limit on it. Yeah, it's an open-ended thing. It's not closed. It's not, it's not just an A, B, C, or D. He's got to do A, B, C, or D. No, it's an open-ended question. What's he going to do? He's going to do anything he wants. What does that look like? Whatever he wants it to look like. It's very open-ended. But the Spirit of God is flowing, flowing, flowing all the time, and there is no measure to it. None. 
Last thing I want to look at in this verse, and I think John does a great job drawing attention to this, is God's hand. God's hand. See, he talks about trust. Well, let's trust God's plan. Let's trust what God says. Let's trust what God's doing. Let's trust what God said from the very start. Let's just trust Him. And then he talks about provision. It's spiritual matter. Provision is spiritual matter. Not worried about it. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm not worried about that. It's my greatest joy. Greatest joy to serve Him. To submit to Him and to what the Father's doing through Him. Now, I want you to think about it. And he draws attention to this. God's hand in our affairs. God has a hand in our affairs. He has a hand in our life. And any time you find yourself thinking, I did that, rethink that. I mean, if it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it's a good thing, you know, you'd rethink that a second. I did that. Well, you were present. Yep. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What's that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All success is from God. And and I just make that as just a statement. All success is from God. Part of what God teaches us in all of this is humility. And he wants us to learn the hard lesson of humility. And it's funny because human beings have such a great knack at at ignoring when their pride leads to their destruction. I mean, we just have such a great knack about that. It's like, well, I'm prideful and I'm a loser. Okay, well, that's because of A, B, and C, or that's somebody else's fault. Okay, let's start again. All right, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm prideful again. Boom, I'm a loser again. Oh, well, that's because things didn't go my way. Um, you know, the roll of the dice, blah, 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 bad luck. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Even though the Bible says pride comes before what? Fall, oh, right. Well, you know, or you, you think about it, also it's like, you know, a person who is often reproved who stiffens their neck will be cut off without remedy. All right? The Bible is really clear about the results of being prideful and stubborn in your pride. Just is. Very, very clear about it. And yet, we have the ability to ignore everything that the Bible has to say about it, everything the generations that have come before us has to say about it, because our generations before us have had a lot to say about pride and humility. They just have. And, and so we've ignored all of that, and so we're just going to operate in pride, even though we're going to get knocked down, knocked down, knocked down. We have an amazing ability to ignore that. And yet, who wants to live like that? Who really wants to live like that? The generations that came before us had an understanding, at least some of them did, had an understanding of what it meant to live in humility. And and these are people that, and I still see this in, in people that I talk to and I interact with, older people that I interact with, where I'll give them a compliment and they'll just deflect. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about a certain generations of people that they've learned over the years that even with a compliment, they might say thank you, but they're going to deflect that or they're going to turn back and compliment you for something that you've done or whatever it is. But that's just the way it is. That's the way it was. Because they learned some hard lessons. And I know that generation is dying off and I'm old, you know, whatever. But those are the lessons I learned when I was a kid. And lessons I learned from people that came before me that were a lot wiser and a lot older than me. But the Bible... I mean, we can learn that lesson from the Bible, too. That that over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible, it talks about how success is God's. How we're not that awesome. It's okay. We don't need to be. Because where I started this all was, well, we need to foster and grow our dependence on grace. Right? And so our greatness has nothing to do with us. It has to do with God and His purposes for our lives. When Jesus talked about the parts of the body, He's like, well, some parts of the body 
are nicer to look at than other parts of the body, but they're still necessary. Some parts of the body, everybody sees. Other parts of the body, nobody sees, but they're still both necessary. And and he, he used the illustration in, in Corinthians, Paul used the illustration in Corinthians about that, how we're all different parts, we're all different things. But it's good because we all have our different purposes and we're all part of God's plan. And you can't say just because you're not the eye that you don't need the ear or just because you're not the ear you don't need the big toe or because you're not the little toe you don't need the pinky finger or whatever it is. All right, You can't use those comparisons because they're fruitless. It's fruitless. God puts us together and gives us function in, in His own way and for His own purposes. And so comparison is just stupid. You know, I'm glad my feet aren't fighting it out with my hands about which one I walk on. I'm not good at walking on my hands. Or I'm glad my eye isn't fighting it out with my ear about which one's the listening and which one's the seeing. I can't see out of my ear and I can't hear with my eye. But they work together in their function and what they're doing without envy of one another in order to fulfill what needs to happen in my body for me to do what I do. And that was kind of what Paul was saying, kind of what Jesus wants with his body. Of us. He's the head. We're the body. So we need to function. How do we function? By taking our part and doing what we're called to do. That's it. There's no envy in that. There's no jealousy in that. It's just, I got this job, you got that job. Let's get it done. See, John, as I said also before, had no love of party. In other words, uh, he, he wasn't entering into the feeling of his disciples because they were upset that Jesus was taking his cheese, right? He's taking their people. He's taking disciples away from John. People are following him. He's getting big crowds. John's crowds are getting smaller. All this stuff's going on. His disciples are all upset about it. Oh, this guy, Jesus, he's taking your crowds. He's, he's taking your cheese out of here. John wasn't upset about it. In fact, he was joyful that all of that was taking place. John didn't have any love of party. In other words, the John party, the Jesus party. There was no such thing. It was just what they were doing, what God was doing. And and he didn't enter into their feelings. Oh, they're, they're hurt because of this, or they're upset because of that, or they're jealous because of this. He didn't enter into those feelings. He just reminded them. And he just told them, he'd give them this teaching here. And this was the teaching he gave them. He was like, I trust God. And this is what he's doing. Let's find our joy in that. That there's really a joy, and and the Bible talks about this in a couple of different places, but I want you to think about the idea of advancing the interests of others. That there's a joy in that, of advancing the interests of others. The Bible talks about preferring others over yourself. What? That sounds ridiculous. That sounds crazy. No, that's what the Bible says. That we're to prefer others over ourselves, to advance the interest of others over our own. And there's a joy in that. It's called serving one another. It's called loving one another. And if you've ever had kids and you care about your kid... You understand what I'm talking about. Because there are lots of times that you will advance their interest over your own. And that's just how it goes. But there's a joy in doing it. And you may have experienced that with friends. You may have experienced that with members of your family. Or you've seen that. You may have been the recipient of that. It's kind of interesting because having gone through this as a child... Your parents, they advance your interests over their own, but then as your parents get older and they can't take care of themselves anymore, then all of a sudden you begin to advance their interests over your own. And it's time to give back. And that's just the way it's supposed to work. And that's a simple example from family, but in the kingdom of God, we are family. In the kingdom of God, we are serving one another. In the kingdom of God... 
You know, I could tell you, oh, well, this doesn't apply, but it does. It applies directly to us that we advance the interests of each other, the interests of others. And there's a real joy in that. I'm going to make a statement that maybe will sound funny to you, or maybe not. It kind of sounded funny to me the first time I, I read it and the first time I started thinking about it. And that's this, all the success of Jesus is from God. All the success of Jesus is from the Father, it's from God. And so Jesus, yeah, even Jesus, even Jesus can't be prideful. All right? Because all the success, everything he did, and how do you know that? Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. That verse in Acts 10.38 tells us how Jesus did the miracles he did. That verse in Acts 10.38 tells us how Jesus went about doing good. That verse in Acts 10.38 tells us how Jesus went about healing people and delivering people and going about the work that the Father had called him to. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure. Well, so are you. And that's really what it comes down to is that he was anointed of the Holy Spirit without measure. So every success that he had, every every time somebody was healed, every time somebody was delivered, every sermon that he gave, everything that he had to say, he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. All of his success is from the Father. All of his success is from God. All of it. And so how much more, when we look at our own lives, how much of our success is from God? Well, all of it. How much uh, all of our, our victory is from God? Well, all of it. Whether we recognize it or not, it is. And whether people want to recognize that all of Jesus' success is from God or they don't, it still doesn't change the fact it was. And so in our lives, and you think about your life, and I think about even before I was a Christian, there were certain things that happened in my life, and I still know that was God. And I'd only know that now. I didn't know it then. I didn't give him any glory then. I didn't recognize him then. I didn't thank him. Not at all. I mean, I rarely prayed at all in my early life. I really had no reason to. I mean, the only time I prayed any time in my early life was either because of a football game or I thought my girlfriend was pregnant. Those would be the only two times. Really. And, and so I look at something like that and it's like, well, whatever. But God definitely was providing during that. God was blessing during that. And I had success during that. And so even though I didn't see it at the time, I look back on it and I know that all of those things were by His grace. All those things were given. All success is from Him. And so I had to go back and thank him. I had to go back and recognize that and find that place of understanding his grace was at work in my life. Just like the Bible says that Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners. He showed us grace. And so that grace has to permeate, that idea of grace has to begin to permeate me, not only today and not only in the future, but even as I look back to the past. Because it, that grace is always there. And so we can rejoice that our success is from God. Because something really neat about that is, is that you never need to be envious Ever. You can rejoice with people when they succeed. Why? Because it's from God. You can rejoice with people when they do awesomely. Why? Because it's from God. And you never have to be envious of anybody. You never have to look and say, oh, I wish I was... You don't have to be that person. Alright? Because really what it has to do with is that God, for whatever His own reasons, brought that about in their life. His hand is in their life. And in their affairs, just like His hand is in your life and in your affairs. And so when they succeed, that's the hand of God. When you succeed, that's the hand of God. 
And there's never any reason for us to be jealous and there's never any really any reason for us to be envious. Because what happens is, is when we become jealous or when we become envious, we take away from and we ignore the grace of God in people's lives, including our own. And so you, you look at what the Bible has to say about envy. No good. Jealousy. No good. But part of the reason it's no good is that it's taking away from the idea of the grace of God in each of us. Because we need to recognize it. We need to see it. We need to expect it. And we need to live in it. And again, foster and grow a dependence on His grace. I'm going to take a moment and pray. And I want to encourage you to uh, maybe just do a little check in you and lay aside whatever's not about God's grace. Those little parts of us that still think we're going to make it happen or that we made it happen. Those little parts of us that still claiming some kind of ownership over whatever it is we're claiming ownership of. And just let His grace be bigger in your life tonight. I mean, just really bigger. 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 In the way you see things, in the way you define things. Bigger in how you see yourself and how you see your life that you're living. Just bigger. Let His grace be bigger. Father, I thank You that uh, it is by grace that we're just sitting here tonight. Thank You. It's by Your grace that we know You tonight. Thank You. It's by Your grace that we have a relationship with You and we can grow in that relationship. Thank You that it's by Your grace that we have a relationship with one another. Thank You, God. We thank you for all that love and all that grace and all that mercy that you pour out into our lives. I ask you, God, that you would teach us how to live in that grace and trust you more. That you've got it. We don't have to do it. You've got it. You may direct us to do certain things. You may have us do certain things, but it's all by your grace. I thank you that we're not striving. I thank you that we're not trying to make something happen in relationship with you. I thank you, God, that it's not all about our performance, but I thank you for your grace tonight. I thank you for your relationship that you have with us. I pray our greatest joy, our greatest joy in our lives would be to submit to you and to submit to one another. God, I thank you that you're God who provides tonight. But I thank you that your provision is spiritual first. It is spiritual. And I just pray, God, that we'd see your provision as spiritual and we begin to believe you for manifestation in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your Holy Spirit without measure. I thank you, God, for the, a cup that just continues to overflow in the Spirit. I thank you for rivers of living water that are just pouring forth from us. I thank you, God, that there is no end, there is no measure to how much of your Holy Spirit pours into us and through us and out of us. I thank you that He is bigger. I thank you that He is greater. I thank you, God, that He is more powerful than we can even understand. I thank you, God, that there is no end to your Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Thanks. Thank you, God. I thank you that our success is from you. All of them. Past, present, and future. I pray for new perspective, new idea, a new way of seeing things, God. new way of understanding ourselves, understanding our lives, understanding our relationship to one another. That, God, we would prefer one another. The Lord would promote the interests and advance the interests of each other. 
I pray, Father, for more and more and more of Your Holy Spirit in us and through us. More Your grace. More Your grace. My success is from God. Your success is from God. We all have the same source. So we give you thanks tonight for that source. We give you thanks tonight for your grace. We give you thanks tonight for your power. We give you thanks tonight for your plan. We give you thanks tonight for our lives and you. Ask God that you continue, continue to help us to foster and to grow in our dependence on your grace. Give you thanks and praise tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.